Welcome to the Embrace It series, where women with all types of disabilities can be real, resourceful, and stylish. With each episode, you'll walk or roll away with everyday tips, life hacks, and success stories from community leaders and influencers. So take off your leg braces and stay a while with Lainey and Estella. Hi, I'm Lainey, and I have CMT. And I'm Estella, and I also have CMT, a neuromuscular disorder affecting approximately 2.6 million people worldwide. That's as many as MS. We believe disabilities should never get in the way of looking or feeling good. Both of us wear leg braces and have learned through our own personal journeys to embrace it. Brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios. Each episode is designed to challenge your own stigmas and beliefs around disability. We want our listeners to get the most value for their time spent with us. So we interview some of the most empowering disability badasses in the world. Through storytelling, personal experiences, and tips, we're all reminded of our own strengths and endless potential. For more information and exclusive resources, check out our websites at trend-able.com and hnf cure.org. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button for future episodes and special promos. Thank you everyone for joining us for our first podcast of 2022, the Embrace It podcast. And today, Lainey and I are joined by the fabulous Dania Manderson of New York. And we have a little puppy there in the background, but that's okay. They're excited too. And uh, welcome, Dania. Hi, Lainey. Hi, Estella. In no particular order, of course. You are um, so thank beautiful. you guys for having me. Our, be- our listeners can't see you, but they must Google you. You are stunning. And I was just commenting before we started about these hoop earrings that are so large. I need them. So, but with me, they'd be rocking them. They, they'd attach to all the magnets I have on necklaces. I'd be like a mess, <laughs> but you rock it. Anyways, we're so happy you're here with yeah. us. It's absolutely a pleasure to be here. Thank you guys for having me, for thinking of having me. And I hope that we have a really great show. It feels great so far. So Well, and you I and Estella I- have like a history, right? So I was so um, taken back. Estella, why don't you tell everyone about how you guys met and became acquainted and all that. Yeah. Well, Dana, how about you? How about you tell us? You could start off with even a little bit um, prior to that before. I think when I met you, I was probably 12 years old. I think we're about the same age. So that was the first year I I went to MDA camp. But yeah, tell us a little bit about, um, well, first your diagnosis, which I know is muscular dystrophy, but I don't know much about, um, you know, the details of that and just um, you know, how, how you ended up at MDA camp and then we can kind of rub it up. Um, so let me see how quickly I can give you the crash course of Dania. Um, <laughs> well, I am an immigrant. I, I moved here from Jamaica at the age of 14. Um, so if you went to MDA at 12 and it must've been older, cause I don't think I started going until I was about 14, 15, thereabout. Um, so we moved here at 14. I think my mom made the decision to, to transition here because Jamaica didn't offer, much in the way of accessibility. So she figured after visiting here a number of times that this would be a much better environment for me to kind of thrive in. Um, in Jamaica, I was surviving. We were fine. I was surviving fine. Everything was good. You know, island life. But in terms of opportunities and a way of kind of fulfilling some kind of a purpose, whatever that may be, I think my mom felt as if this was the best environment for me. Um, so fast forward to 14, I'm in New York. I'm you know, adjusting, getting acclimated to the to the country, or the state, rather. I still don't know much of the country. Um, and I think my mom, one of the steps that she took was to put me in camp. And I think that was more just to get me socialized, right? Um, in Jamaica, I didn't know anyone else with a disability, at least no one that used a wheelchair. There are hidden disabilities. Um, but I didn't see a reflection of myself in the general society, right? I saw people or I knew of people in nursing homes right but not anyone who just kind of lived home so wait can I stop you for two seconds because I'm curious like were you um always a wheelchair user full-time and like I know um obviously MDA camp you have muscular dystrophy which Shark and Tooth with Estelle and I have is um under that umbrella as well but there's so many types um what is your type and like um were you always in a wheelchair what is my type? My type is... <laughs> yeah, what is your type? Tall shark. <laughs> no, 
Um, well, I have spinal muscular atrophy type two from what I know of it. There are four types. I will be very transparent in saying that I don't do a lot of research on muscular dystrophy or um, just because I, it, it always leaves me feeling a little bit less than hopeful mm-hmm. um, what doctors have to say about what the end is going to look like or when the end is going to come. And I prefer to just stay away from it and kind of live life organically, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that answers your question. SMA type 2. Yeah, I've, I've always, always, always had it. I've never, never had the experience of walking. Um, my mom said I used to hold on and walk around. I have no recollection of it. Um, so I just say I've never walked, right? It's, if I don't know it, then it never happened. <laughs> and obviously, um, your your mom, um, like unlike our CMT type, which was her, mine is hereditary, um, Estella's wasn't. Like this, were you the only person in your family with? Um, I am. Pronounce it. Okay. So you <laughs> like you know you came here to New York in a wheelchair as a young child. Um, new country, new space, and like obvious, and didn't know anyone, let alone someone else with disabilities. I would imagine. Exactly. Um, wow. That was pretty much what it was like. Um, and I went to public school, so I was around now other children with disabilities and what it meant to have a para and just the freedom of like a, a school that had an elevator, for example, right, mm-hmm. and being able to get to all of your classes. Um, and I, I think what, what opened up for me was a world of possibilities. And I know you had asked about the camp. And I think the camp provided me with a sense of, I guess, belonging, maybe. Like, I'm not the only person around. And mm-hmm. not only am I not the only person with a disability, there is a myriad of disabilities, right? And, but these are all awesome people, awesome teenagers to be around. We're having a good time, but we don't have the same thing. We haven't had the same life experience based on our disabilities, um, so I think there was that interconnectedness, but yet still being kind of an individual that I found at the camp. And I won't say that I loved it because I didn't really, there was just something about it that I didn't always love and I can't put a finger on it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so interested. I'm just so interested in that. I, I, I remember you very clearly. Well, my sister and I both went and I just remembered you being like, this sassy Jamaican girl with this accent who just knew who she was and wasn't afraid to like speak up and crack jokes and just speak her mind. And, um, that was definitely my first, uh, impression of you. And yeah, I think very similar to you, you really, you know, we were able to tap into this wider spectrum of of disability and we were just able to be kids for two weeks and not, even have to worry about being judged or looked at differently or you know feel ashamed or embarrassed it was just kids being kids and having having fun and and you know honestly I mean I went to overnight camp not um an MDA or disability related camp but like having that young child experience with someone and then reconnecting as an adult Mm -hmm. how cool because you probably like can remember like little things that you know yeah, I can tell you exactly when I when I knew that when I really knew that I liked Estella, right? And <laughs> she she probably has no memory of this, but it was TLC's waterfall, right? Yes, I still know the the, the words to the rap. She knew argument. all the raps. She knew all the words to the rap. <laughs> and I remember just being there, like you know, definitely no racist undertone here. But like, oh my God, first of all, I thought she was white because in Jamaica, you're either black or white. There's yeah, no right, Puerto yeah. Rican, Hispanic, there's no, right. there's no middle ground, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember just being so fascinated, like, this white girl knows all the words in this <laughs> black song. Like, she knows all the words. <laughs> you were cool, even as a young kid. <laughs> I just thought it was the most amazing thing ever. And that's, that's so I, I mean, I'm quite sure we probably met at camp before, a year before or so. But we also had friends in common that, like, there was Jason. He went to camp, but I also went to school with him. So we weren't very far off in terms of being able to find each other, but we just lost touch for years, right? Yeah. But I recall that that song. (laughs) Yeah. I love that because, like, as you guys said, camp is, you know, you're a kid. You get to just be a kid and not focus. Like, you know, that crib camp that um, is on TV, it's so fascinating Mm -hmm. to me to see how um, how it developed and like how hard they had to 
work to have that opportunity and like field trips. Like I remember going on field trips and I wasn't in a wheelchair and going on field trips and like to the ice cream place and like on in camp, like that's a major undertaking and the people in the community and how they feel about it in their little town, all these kids with disabilities. I mean, you guys have had like, you know, yes, it was just summer camp, but it's like huge back then to have had that experience because nowadays it's not uncommon, but you know, that was new. And your mom um, was from a different country. And the fact that she hooked you up to be able to have that opportunity is pretty cool too. Yeah. See, that's the thing with camp, right? It's for me, it was a space where I didn't have to, it's a space where I didn't have to feel as if I was choosing to be vulnerable or not. Mm -hmm. It was a space that I, I knew that I wasn't being stared at because I was different Right. I knew that even if I was being stared at, it was for another reason, whatever that might be, whether they just found my complexion nice or whether they just like my accent, like um, like Estella said. Right. It wasn't a place where I felt like I was being stared at because I was just the other. Right. And I think that was one of the valuable pieces for me is being able to kind of just be myself without trying to either put on airs for someone else or to make myself seem less disabled for another set of people or to fit in. Right. It was kind of just. I'm just here. Yeah, it was definitely a safe space. And I think that's the biggest takeaway is um, just the power of, you know, at that young of an age, you know, I, I personally would encourage any parent with a disability to to do something like that. And, and a lot of times parents are intimidated or scared to have their children associated or uh, socialized with children with more, quote unquote, severe disabilities because they feel like, oh, that, you know, that's something like I, maybe I'll be in a wheelchair one day and that doesn't make me feel comfortable. But for me and my sister, it had the exact opposite effect. We, like you said, we felt like we belonged. And um, I think that's, that's, that's a good lesson to learn from, you know, my experience and your experience is to, to let kids socialize with other kids with disabilities and other types of disabilities. It's, it's so important that we all learn at a young age that it's normal that to, that disability is part of life. It's not something to be pitied, right? Because it, it, it wasn't for us. We were just kids and that was it. Uh, yes, not to mention the independence and skills that just a week away at a camp can give you. Like right. so when you don't have a disability and you go off to college, if you choose to, and you've never had overnight camp experience in any way, those kids you know, don't know how to do basic things on their own because mommy or daddy or whoever has done it for them. And People with disabilities, obviously, depending on your parent, they're either overcompensating or they are making you do stuff. And going to camp, those kid counselors, they certainly can't be doing everything for everybody. So you learn a lot of great skills. Um, and I, I love that people have all different degrees and types and um, you know abilities because um, we only grow. Like you, you can then appreciate the things you can do and learn to do the things you maybe struggle with a different way from seeing how someone else does it. So kids have great workarounds. They have great <laughs> imaginations and they can figure out things oftentimes much better than adults who are rigid and stuck in the same. Yeah. I think, I think camp is beneficial for any child, right? Like it, a large part of my work now is to shift the focus from just the benefits of a particular thing or decision for a person with disability, but to kind of show how everyone benefits from it. Right. So yeah, there should be camp for people with disabilities, but I think just even within that, camp is useful for any child, right? It's a time when they can leave the family unit and kind of figure out who they are on their own. And to also just, as you said, to kind of pick up on, learn the different ways that people are like accommodating themselves within society, right? And that's just in general. I think when it comes to, for a person with a disability, what I would like to see more of is camps that have more integration, right? Like, it is important to have just a camp of people with disabilities. I think that is most valuable. But at some point, if we want to heighten the sensitivity of, of able-bodied individuals, we're going to have to push inclusion a little bit further. Um, and, and that's going to look many, many different ways. I could talk forever. <laughs> but you know what? You can and should, because like that brings us to fast forward. <laughs> Out of camp, do you think, okay, let's give some background on your experience as an educator and in what you have done with that. I mean, you are so unbelievable and, and what happened. Well, 
I don't want to tell everything. So why don't you tell <laughs> us a little alert. bit about your, your teaching and experience and um, in the New York public school system? Ah, so um, I, I earned my bachelor's and my master's from NYU, um, New York University, for those who are not into acronyms. <laughs> and um, I started teaching at the age of 23 within the New York City public school system, and I'm almost 42. So <laughs> I've been teaching now for over 18 years. Um, I had my daughter within that time. I got married within that time. So teaching actually came before all of the other big milestones, if you will. When it comes to the public school system, it's um, it's been my joy, right? You don't last 18 years in something if you don't love it. But the love, the love that I'm feeling is not necessarily because I love the organization that I work for. It's because I love the job that I do, which is to educate children. I mean, right? I'm a natural. You could tell I talk forever. But for me, I think... Teaching is rewarding, yeah, right? but there are still, even though it is a public school system, you would think that it would be more accommodating to the public, right? And then the myriads mm. of, of, of people that we have in our society. But what I've found is vast marginalization of people with disabilities within the Department of Education, more so even staff-wise. Like, I cannot say that I've ever met another staff member that needs a wheelchair, I've met people with canes and walkers and very few. When I say people, I'm not talking about like tons, right? I'm talking about probably two hands full um, over 18 years. Um, and I don't know if it's just because people are discouraged from teaching with, with their disability, you know, because it is rough, right? Kids make jokes, right. they make wise, wisecracks all the time. You kind of have to know how to be witty to kind of mm. withstand that, right? Children are children. But we also, but the, the question then becomes, is it something that's more systemic, right? Is it something whereas the organization doesn't really make it feasible for you to even consider that as a place to work? And I, I think I would go with the latter as being a large part of it. Um, it, it is a very discouraging work environment, right? Especially when you're not accommodated and you really, teaching requires you to be all in. So if mm-hmm. there's something that's preventing you from physically being all in, even mentally being all in because your needs are being met, you're not being accommodated, then you're going, your job is going to suffer. The quality of your work is going to suffer because all of your energy is going to be put into other things when you really should just be focusing on your instruction, right? Within so your class. Can you give some examples of like what you mean by not accommodating? I can. So that brings us really, really fast forward to I think why Estella reached out to me because she learned about our I, I had a lawsuit with the Department of Education regarding accommodations and accessibility. More specifically, um, there I've never been able to use the bathroom at work. Probably still never will be. Um, and um, the, the public school building is supposed to have a fire exit room on every floor, you know, to safe space in case of you know in case of a fire. And that room is barely maintained, right? So here I am going to work every day, and my mind. I mean, subconsciously, I'm not going around thinking, oh, we're dying of fire today. But subconsciously, I am very much aware that if there were a fire in the school, I would probably not be able to make it out a lot. Not with the way that they're, um, the protocol is in place. But is it being followed? Is it being honored? That's another question. Yeah. And how do we get people to then understand that it, you, the rubber has to meet the road at some point because these protocols are not just in place because they're fancy, right? Dude, like we can all form a sentence. We can all write down great things and steps, but if no one actually follows it, then there is a breakdown, right? And, and I don't want to exactly know what that breakdown looks like in the case of a fire. I would rather mm. to, to not get to that before I feel Yeah. Like. So wait, so, okay, the fire thing, scary, but can we go to the bathroom, which is, I think, really, um, like, horrifying? <laughs> what does, what did that, I mean, you had to go to the bathroom, right? Like, I mean, for all, I mean, you're teaching all day. What did you do? <laughs> what do I do? I yeah, hold what it. do you do? I actually hold it all day. Um, which, I don't think I have to tell the average person how detrimental that is to physical health, even though at the, at the mediation with the Department of Ed, I had to be very, very clear in how I was being impacted by this, right? Now, um, wait, can we, can I ask you real quick, what about kids with disabilities? I mean, there's kids in the New York public school system. Well, in my particular school, we didn't have 
any students with disabilities who use the mobility device. Oh, wow. We, okay. Yeah. So I was kind of the only person in my building. We recently gotten about three or four children who are disabled, mobility impaired. So I don't really know. You know, everyone's different because I can't speak for everyone. Some people use a catheter. Some people are, are able to get up and use a bathroom. Bath. So because every disability is so different. And I felt like what the DOE wanted me to do was kind of to paint a picture of this is what every disability is and this is what everyone is going to need as opposed to saying, let's have structures in place based on what the need is. When you first brought this to the attention, I mean, obviously you started working there knowing that you would not be able to use the bathroom in the building. I mean, what was that? How did that conversation start out with the department, with the principal? I mean, was was anyone listening? Was like, how does it get to that point where you're 12 years? Is it 12 years working? Well, 18 years. Building? No, in the oh, in that building since 2008. 2008. Okay. Yeah, so, so, somewhere around there. Yeah. So since 2008, I mean, how did it get to the point where you have the student department of education? New York City school system because no one's listening. I mean, I can't, it's just so hard to wrap my, my mind around the fact that you've gone this whole time without the use of a bathroom. You would have thought by now there would have been some kind of uh, accommodation need. I mean, good, I mean, good question, right? Because I asked <laughs> yeah. myself, I asked myself as well, why, why wait so long? And even when I first filed the lawsuit, that was kind of some of the backlash is why would you wait until all this time? You're just waiting to get out. And you just want to, you just want to sue the DOE so you can retire. And I'm like, hmm, no, not quite, right? Um, let's start out by saying, I think when we all start a new job, we're kind of enthusiastic. You don't want to rock the boat. You right. tend to kind of want to get your foot in and get somewhat cemented within your position before you start to make huge demands. Mm -hmm. For me, as mm -hmm. one of the only people that I know with a disability, I absolutely was scared, right? I was scared that I would be pushed out of the system um, because they tried it before, right? When I was pregnant with my daughter, they actually tried to fire me. They was excessively absent. The truth was I had doctor's notes for everything because I was a high-risk pregnancy. So with that first experience with them, I realized that I really had no safety so that was one aspect of it, that kind of zeal to be a good teacher and wanting to be vested and tenured and all this good stuff. Years pass. But then, as with all things, the old vehicle starts to break down, right? And my body changes. I have a disability that, unfortunately, it, it progresses really quickly mm -hmm. at times. So what, what started to happen was I noticed that I was getting more stomach cramps, right, when I had to hold my bladder or... I would come home and I would just be in pain as I was trying to relieve myself. My health was changing. My body was changing, right? Mm -hmm. Many teachers even suffer burnout just from, I mean, it is noted, it is noted scientifically or research-based that teachers tend to suffer a lot with their bladder issues simply because you don't go to the bathroom when you want to. You go on right. your schedule, right? Your schedule right. is what kind of determines when you can go. So if your prep is at in the morning and you don't have another break until Three hours later, sorry, buddy, unless someone's going to cover your class, you cannot leave a kid, um, kids unattended. So, I, wow. I, you know, it, it was almost as if my body was changing at a much more faster pace than I could figure out what to do, right? So I double-checked with my aide to make sure this was something that they would be able to manage if I were to, you know, challenge the DOE. And I didn't initially challenge the Department of Education. I did go through the chain of command. I did talk to my administrators in the school. I did reach out to the Office of Accessibility. And what, and like, what was the administrators response. in your school? Like, what was their response? I'm not sure if it was sympathetic or empathetic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel as if there, there might have been a little bit of sympathy there. Um, very logistical, I think, was the response, right? Because no administrator can make infrastructural change. To the building mm -hmm. so i wouldn't expect my bosses to have an answer or a solution because something it has to go through another department to make those right. kind of changes so there were things that my boss could have done to i think expedite or to just kind of add voice to, to my concerns right so when i reached out to the department of accessibility or whatever department that's called within the department of that um it was it became just the run around with the emails back and forth and oh we're going to check this and we're going to have someone follow up and 
you know, there are a couple of times someone did come to school. It, it felt, it, it began to feel patronizing mm-hmm. um, because there was no change from what I could gather that was really being taken seriously, being proposed for me. Um, and then I started to have, you know, just, it got very, very difficult to be in the building still very difficult to be in the building but I think what I wanted the Department of Ed to do was to respond in a way that was authentic and not would make that made me feel like I was being brushed to the side you, you mm-hmm. wanted the empathy and people to back you up and take action which is reasonable having worked there you know even if they didn't know what to do right or how they were going to to have actionable steps of what they were going to do to try to figure it out is what tells you someone's in your court. So basically you're like on your own, they're like going through the motions of, oh yeah, sent an email, response, did this, had whatever, check, check, check. And you still don't have access to a bathroom (laughs) at this school and you're employed by them. And like the world is changing in, in the rest of the world at this point. Like people are aware now of the need for, accommodations there's laws in place for new buildings and here you are doing the hardest job you can possibly do teaching our youth in a new york public school and you don't have your basic rights met like basic yeah that was pretty much it right because i I think um there's a lot to be said about feeling undervalued right like Mm -hmm. if i'm working towards whatever mission it is right like the department of i have a mission and you know, if I'm working diligently towards that, then I, I think it needs to be on it, right? I think that you want to retain the people who are actually invested in the job. For me, I think it, there would have been simple fixes that would have prevented anything going to court, right? A simple modification of a schedule, for example. There's no need, I, I don't necessarily need to be in the building for six and a half hours. I teach four classes a day, maybe five. I'm not, and, and, and it's always going to look like special treatment, right? Like no matter how you put it, someone is going to say, oh, that's special treatment because, but it is, right? It's, it's an accommodation. It's a special accommodation. But it could have been schedule changes where I would talk, teach my classes together in the morning, for example, and right. be able and to leave in the leave. afternoon, right? Like right? That could have been one fix because everything else was kind of meetings, so right? Just dumb. You don't need to be, I don't need to physically be in this building for this, right? And then there was the issue of the Monday afternoons where we work until 5.15, um, now, if you can imagine holding your bladder from 5.30 a.m. to 5.15 in the evening, and then you have to travel home, right? You have to come home and decompress. And it's, it's a process, right? Oh because I don't, just, I don't just come home and sit on a toilet. I have to come home and get someone to help me and go through another set of steps, right? And I think the Department of Ed was just very, very rigid in just feeling as if they didn't have to do anything. And that's still pretty much their, their notion, right? Like, nothing has changed. It's been three years of a lawsuit that left me kind of just depleted and frustrated and on the brink of retirement at this point. So there is no, like, it's still in process. There is no, um, no, it's, it's closed. Um, I want to say that that the solution is cosmetic. (laughs) I don't know if that word fits. Like a bandaid for it. It is. It is. Um, because what they did, and I think they just played the long game with me and, they, I think they sensed the frustration and they also pulled on some laws that were very like the Department of Ed, they know where to spend their money, right? They won't put it into classroom, they won't lower class sizes, but they will put it into their legal team. And um, they were very, very crafty in how they handled this case. Um, I think the last thing that they did that kind of pushed my lawyers and myself to kind of saying this is it is they pulled what's called, I think, a rule 68. It's either 68 or 69, I can't remember. But whatever compensation I would have gotten from them, I would have had to pay for my own lawyer. And of course, when lawyers hear that, they start to get a little shaky. (laughs) So it was kind of just like, yeah, let's just uh, accept the settlement term. You know, they're going to give you a toilet seat razor that's still just a commode without wheels. So that doesn't quite help, right? And the room is supposed to be, the fire room is supposed to be maintained, which still hasn't happened. So on paper, yes, I think it does make a difference for whomever is going to come in with issues going forward. But as for me and my body, it's all cosmetic. It's yeah, because the mindset hasn't changed. It's you yes. know, they were they were literally forced in a corner where they had to make a decision on at the bare minimum 
Um, yeah, it was a shutter up game. It was a shutter yeah. up. Like, and now what happens with these with these students that are using wheelchairs that are in your school now? Is it the same issue for them? They're in the school on the floor above me, and I don't really know the workings of their school. I know the bathrooms are pretty much the same. But as I mentioned earlier, we don't know if these are, you know, these are people who use right. We don't know if they have, you know, I don't know what their setup is. Um, yeah. So I it's can't just, comment on that, you know. Yeah, it's something that I would think, oh, ABA, it's illegal. Case closed. Like, how is it not that simple? But apparently- things are, things can be illegal and illegal things can be, can, can happen pervasively as long as no one opens their mouth about right. the fact that, you know, because- who is going to really protect Estella's rights if Estella lets her rights go unnoticed, right? Like, I'm not going to push for your rights more than you. And I think that's one of the mm-hmm. things with people with disabilities is that reluctance to speak up for mm-hmm. fear of persecution or whatever other consequences come with that. Um, but a lot of people are allowing their rights to be chipped away. And, it, and they do know. They do feel that something is wrong, but they just don't do anything about it. You know, so the big mouse like me, <laughs> we get all the blowback. We'll be right back. This is John and Mark Cronin from John's, John's Crazy, Crazy Socks. Socks. And we're interrupting to say we hope you're enjoying this episode, but please. Make sure to check out our show, The Spreading Happiness Podcast, another great show produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes are available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Join us on our new podcast as we continue our mission, Spreading Happiness. Thank you, folks. You're tuning in to Embrace It with Lainey and Estella, brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios. First of all, you're strong and it totally, how you explained going and and fighting this later makes total sense because it's such a hierarchy and such a political system. Mm -hmm. Um, But it blows me away as I... As a young girl from Michigan, (laughs) 51-year-old young girl, you know, where I feel like, you know, like, I I see it very accessible, you know, and, you know, I don't know how the Detroit public system is, actually, so I can't speak on that. But in general, you know, I go to New York, which is like, where things happen, where things debut, where the newest trends are started, where people are activists and the world follows what New York does and you go in the subway system and you're like, Oh my God, if I couldn't walk these stairs, I would be screwed or I'd have to be very wealthy to live in, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. so there's no, it, it's very sad in general about all of the public's, you know, utilities system schools in New York and, and definitely not for the faint of heart. So thank goodness for people like you who are, mm-hmm making that difference. And even though the lawsuit didn't end as you had needed and wanted, I mean, hopefully then the next person <laughs> who does the same lawsuit makes, you know, each stride pushes them further. Um, right. And also like news coverage, like, did you have, I, I saw the article that was written, but like, wh- why aren't they writing articles about your story and making it known to people? That's when the school and the board of yeah, education but- takes notice. Like, how much media coverage did you get? The one that you saw. And that was it. And like, yeah. And, and you know, people say to me, you know, you, you need to send out a press release. You need to do all of these things. And I, I don't feel like I should be the one that's pushing that coverage. You know, I feel as if, if it's something that's newsworthy and people know about it, then, you know, there's six degrees of separation. I believe that as well. Right, like you can not you as a lady, lady, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not you as a lady, but anyone who caught wind of the case could always say to someone at another news outlet, right? And I, I feel if I'm going to go out and try to force people to pay attention to it, then I'm overstepping. 
Right. But like, what about, I'm just curious, like, you know, um, since you have muscular dystrophy, like that organization, like what about all of the, the organizations that should be backing you and helping you and getting the coverage? I mean, they're just you know. as they're, they were nowhere. No, I did. I fought this case by myself mm, with, wow. the, with the disability rights advocates. And that was it. Right. I reached out to a bunch of politicians before we went in. I didn't get any responses. It, it started to drain me because I said, right, of course. what is so hard about seeing the importance of something and just lending your voice to it with the millions of followers that you have for our followers who are listening. Um, and obviously we don't want to gloss over everything. Everyone's heard this did not work. And, um, what you did, you know, they, they did a bandaid solution that didn't help you in any way. Um, like what is the takeaway that what's the positive spin for you? Like what would a listener gain from this information? Like what if they're in a similar position, like what would you tell people? And um, take, I don't think of just a couple of takeaways. I don't think that I'm less vocal now, but I think is them going to be more pragmatic going forward. Um, for, I think a large part of what hindered my case was not having had a paper trail sooner. A lot of times people don't like to send those emails. Um, they don't like to make those phone calls. They don't want to get certain people, you know, involved at least by name on mm-hmm. those paperwork or those emails. But the truth is, it is your safeguard because when it comes to the time for lawyers, what they're asking for are these bits and pieces of paper that you right. didn't want to because you didn't want to hurt someone's feelings or you didn't want to mm. like create a storm, right? Because we all know once an email goes out, it kind of becomes formal. Everything becomes formal. Yep. Um, and I played the cooperative game, right? Let's not send the email. Let's not offend. Let's not pull anyone, throw anyone under the bus. But then what happens is you should always send the email, right? There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today about this issue. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. you don't have to be very, just very detailed, but you want to have it on record that you did have this conversation mm-hmm. about this particular topic. The details can come up in a little bit time. So that's definitely one thing because your opponents are going to come at you, right? Like I, I, the deal we required or almost my, or my lawyers, whatever, for the purposes of the case, required me to visit a urologist numerous times, right? I shouldn't have to go to a urologist to prove that my bladder is being affected by holding my urinary. Oh, my God. But I can prove to you that since August, I have probably gone to about eight different appointments, right? Just to establish <laughs> that I'm having bladder issues. Are you kidding Why? me? I, would I mean, that is ridiculous. That is so But crazy. it's not. The, the problem is that because I we wasn't don't. able to prove more damage, because I wasn't able to prove them dying from this, right? The DOE didn't, still doesn't think that anything terrible is happening. So that's one takeaway, is to just cover your hypothetical booty, right? <laughs> cover, cover your booty. Um, I, I guess one of, the, one of the things that I wish I would have known going in is that your fortitude is going to depend on your own convictions. Um, if I wasn't convinced that my rights were being pulled apart, they would have broken me from the very beginning. Right. I had to know that I didn't start this just because I wanted to pick a fight with Goliath. Right. This was a, a true calling out of the department of education. And for many, there were many times where I felt like, does this even matter? Like, shouldn't I just, I could just resign. I can go work for anywhere. But the truth is, I will always be able to do that. I'm not tied to the beauty. I can resign whenever, whether I have a case or not. But I had to think about the long term. Mm-hmm. I had to think about why I started the fight in the first place. I had to constantly remind myself of why the fight started in the first place. And I relied on that very heavily at the moment when I wanted to give up. So that, that's, that was one key thing, because I, I don't think anyone had told me that, that the, lawy- the lawyers will... Not my lawyers, right? I felt like they were very human, you know, very compassionate people. But the other lawyers, they wanted me to feel like garbage. They wanted me to feel as if my claims were unwarranted. They wanted to make me almost feel guilty for going up against my employer. And um, that was hard. I wanted to be there just to lock all of the bathroom doors at the courthouse so that no one could go to the bathroom during the entire trial. 
That, that would have been that would have been my that would have been my part in all of us. <laughs> I just don't understand. Yeah, but there's like, there's a place for that, right? Because I think sometimes people have to have that thing that that helps them to really understand. Because sometimes yeah. you experience it, you don't understand. I mean, I literally I can't. I, I think someone can understand if they just literally. The lawyer used a wheelchair. Do you understand, Lynn? Wow, that's how far they went. My lawyer used a wheelchair, and she was fighting against accessibility. What does that tell you? Wow. Wait, the lawyer, the lawyer yes. that was against you? Yes. Used a wheelchair? Yes. Oh my God. This, this just gets more and more infuriating. I don't think I've ever been so like worked up about it. <laughs> okay. She sat there in her wheelchair and tried to, well, we didn't exchange much words, but you're fighting for them. So that there wasn't really much for you to say. And oh, I got it. She's a lawyer. This is her job, right? But think of the message. Right? We're, we're thinking symbolically here, right? They could have picked any freaking lawyer that they wanted to. They have they a school lawyer. Why me. pick that particular lawyer? Wow. That's but like, a new Okay, I, I don't want to like keep going back because I loved the tips that you were uh, <laughs> offering, but I do want to ask this. Like, what? Okay, they're asking you to prove medical stuff, like medical problems as a result of not going to the bathroom, but like, at any point, was anyone like, oh, it's normal to hold to, like, were they, like, what was their, I can't, why would they need you to prove that? Like, just anybody saying, can you hold your urine? Like, can you hold your bladder for seven hours? Like, don't drink anything. It's hot. Like, I'm assuming that New York public schools aren't air conditioned. Like, you're there in the springtime when it's like humid and hot and you're supposed to not drink anything and be dehydrated and teach and like, I mean, it's not very hard to empathize with that. Like, I feel like anybody without a disability can talk about times that they had to pee so bad and there wasn't a bathroom. Like, it Things seems are hard so no-brainer. Things are hard when we don't want to, right? Um, it's just so... It and me of, away. of course they understand. I mean, anyone with, with a brain could understand. But when in making their point, right, that they don't have to do anything... That's the only thing that they could do was try to discredit whatever points I was trying to make. Right, right. And then I had the people on the sidelines who were like, well, why don't you just use a catheter? Why don't you just wear diapers? And I'm yeah, just like, like are you kidding that's... me? Right. I don't think that it should have to be my choice, like, for work, right? Like, for my own life or if I just wanted to, but I shouldn't, that shouldn't be the reason. So and, I can and work no one, And the point is, is that no one is telling that person how they should take care of business, right? Like you, you have, it's your body and like, you shouldn't have to wear an adult diaper if you don't want to, like no one should. (laughs) I mean, it's just crazy that they would ask you, I'm getting worked up too. And like, that's bad. So (laughs) so let's breathe and the socks and (laughs) you gave really good info. Like people, if you know, if you take it to your own level of where you work or where you are or where your kids in school or whatever, document, document, document. Don't be so think you're you're being too professional by doing so. You have to be professional. You have to think ahead, even if you don't plan on doing a lawsuit, just in general. And that goes for everything, right? That goes yeah, for write a book when one. you and that goes with doctor's appointments. I mean Forget about lawsuits. That goes with anything. You you need to keep a paper trail so that you can be an advocate for yourself, no matter what the issue is. Um, having names, info, dates, including that Xfinity Comcast guy who told me and promised last week that I didn't write down his name, and I wish I had. So always <laughs> write down the name, right? Yeah. And, and, and most importantly, no matter how small the win might feel, you right because we all set out with noble goals and, and things that we want to, to make the world a better place. Um, and it, it often doesn't work out that, that I didn't enter this thinking that they would that I would get what I wanted. Like I, right, we're, we're I think we're all smart enough to know that there was going to be some pushback and things wouldn't work out. You know, we don't see through rose colored lenses. But I think for the average, for, you know, for for anyone who is planning on doing something like a lawsuit or whatever understand that a win is a win, right? Like no one can take that win away from you. And even though the DOE didn't make the changes that I wanted them to make and they didn't really make the system as equitable as they could, 
what what happened is in, in in settling with me and taking some ownership, it makes a difference, right? Like there's proof that you can go up against these big organizations and corporations and you you will get some sense of your humanity back and your dignity back from them. Yeah. Right. Because even the fact that they are saying that we will make these changes as superficial as they might be, they're taking ownership that something isn't entirely right. And that's, that's the cons- the consoling part for me there. Right. That's the first step is, is recognizing that we have a problem, right? Regardless if it's heard or not in the way that you intend it to be, that you are strong, capable, awesome, and you used your voice, like that matters, right? That that's whatever the outcome, you tried your best and you advocated for yourself. And some like we're hearing you now (laughs) and people who are listening are hearing you now. I mean, this is just so eye opening for me personally. And so frightening. Um, and in 2000, soon to be 2000, well, as we're, we're recording in 2021 people, but (laughs) in 2022, this should not be happening. And you doing this, um, you know, sets the course for others to be brave. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, thank you for doing that. And you're stunning. So let's go to a little lighter note. David, tell us, tell us what's on the horizon for you. I mean, we're, we're, we're about to go into 2022. Um, you know, what, what do you see for yourself in the next few years as far as advocacy? Is, is that, is that something that you want to continue? I see you, you're, you're a speaker and a writer and, and, um, you know, obviously an, an, an educator. I'm sure your students are taking away many, many lessons outside of the classroom from you. Um, what do you, what do you, what do you have planned? Oh, plans. There's like a sand, right? Plans are like sand. Um, what I would like to do is to continue being an advocate um, for people, right? People with disabilities, people who might be illiterate. I want to be useful to people. So that's the first part. Um, to humanity, I should say. Um, I, I definitely will. I'll, I'll always be educating, even if I'm not formally educating so that could look like teaching college classes one day, um, teaching teachers how to teach, how to teach with love, um, because I'm, I am an educator at heart. So even if I'm sitting in a bar, we're having a conversation. I'm still trying to give insight. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one thing that I, I think is in my face. So I don't really have to talk much about what I want to do with that. Um, I'm, I have my sights set on the arts, uh, writing. Um, I do write within the genres, all the, many of the genres, because I teach many of the genres. And, um, so I, I definitely want to hone in a little bit more on my writing. And, and have um, you published anything that? Um, I've had one article published, um, in USA Today okay, about well, discriminating for jobs. Let's um, include that in our links for yeah. sure, Estella. Yeah. Yeah. Estella, if you want to, or your viewers, you can go to damiamagasin.com. Um, yeah. There are a couple things there on the about me page. If anyone wants to do a deep dive into, we do. And where lives. would where would they find you on social too? Uh, everything is with my name. I actually just used my name for everything, so it's just yep. Dania Magnuson across okay. the board. I didn't want to create anything new. D a n i a h Magnuson is M A N D E R S O N, but we'll link to everything in the notes there. Yes. Find it easily. Do you have any New Year's plans, everyone? New Year's? Any goals? Not not plans for New Year's Eve, but um, (laughs) that little coronavirus is still uh, (laughs) still around. So it's kind of a weird subject for people. But um, any goals? Are you a New Year's resolution kind of person? Maybe my theme will be love, I guess. I'll, I'll anchor myself in love for the year. I love um, that. And, and okay. that means like being a great parent. Like I take so much pride in being a parent. <laughs> and um, I, I definitely want to keep showing love to just everyone. I think COVID has taught us the fragility of life. And um, I think with that, with that comes the appreciation of life. 
And if I can spend a little bit more time kind of loving on folks, because um, mm-hmm. it also just feels good, right? It feels good yeah. to be all lovey-dovey and not like upset all the time. So I if I can kind of make that my resting place, then I'll be okay. It's been so awesome having you. I want to remind people before we say goodbye to our awesome guest that this podcast, um, Estella, who has a full-time job outside of our podcast (laughs) and myself who does not, but we do not make money from the podcast. We what we do this because we love it and we love you guys listening and we hope that you get something from it. What we need from you guys to start off this year strong is to leave a review, please. We haven't had one in a, or haven't had many in a while because we don't ask. So we're asking. Just click the button that says leave a review because that is how Apple shows this podcast to other people who could benefit. So please take a minute. I know you have a minute, just 30 seconds, leave a review for us and um, subscribe if you haven't. And um, I'll let you little camp friends say goodbye. (laughs) You want to give each other a little um, a camp I used to avoid like saying goodbye at the end, which is kind of I didn't like the last day of camp when everyone's crying. I like jumped out of there, but you guys reunited. So maybe I'll reunite with my old camp cute boyfriend. Well, not boyfriend. (laughs) That would be bad. I'm married, but anybody. (laughs) Okay. Cut this one out, Estella. (laughs) No, it's too good. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hey, Embracers, thank you so much for listening and supporting the Embrace It podcast. Brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by George Andriopoulos and hosted by Lainey Ishbia and Estella Lugo. Our music and sound effects are licensed through Epidemic Sound. Embrace It is hosted with Buzzsprout. Do you have a disability-related topic you'd love for us to feature? Or could someone you know be a fabulous guest on our show? We would love to hear your comments and feature them on our next podcast. So leave us a voicemail or you can even send us a text to 631-517-0066. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow us at embraceit underscore podcast on Instagram. And make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. We hope you join us next time and continue to embrace it.